Wants it for the end zone. It's intercepted in the end zone by Diane Gawolaku. Down the near sideline. 30, 35, 40. Right corner, Eli. Pulls, fires, scores from three. Elijah Bryant swishing it from the corner. Rolls it past the defender. Gets into the 18, shoots him. Near post scorer, Avery Walker. He's been with you for the moments that make your BYU sports memories. He's the voice of the Cougars. And this is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM Channel 143. Here now is your host, Greg Rubel. Hello and good evening, Cougar Nation. I am your host, Greg Rubel, coming to you from Studio 2 in the BYU Broadcasting Building on the Brigham Young University campus in Provo, Utah. I am back from Las Vegas in the West Coast Conference Tournament and ready for the season finale of Behind the Mic. Tonight's show will be our last of 23 episodes before we go on spring hiatus. The plan is to return to Studio 2 in August when a new season of BYU football will be just around the corner. We also make a cameo visit for a special BYU football media day behind the mic in June. We hope you've enjoyed our run of shows throughout the fall and winter. I've interviewed about 60 or so BYU sports and sports media personalities over the first run of our show and look forward to many more interviews on this program in the months and years to come. If you're joining us live this evening... Welcome in. You're joining us on satellite via BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, or globally on BYURadio.org and the BYU Radio app. If you're listening on demand, thanks for podcasting us on our Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast feed or on our Behind the Mic show page at BYURadio.org. The BYURadio.org and BYU Radio app are your online and streaming homes for all of the great programming heard on BYU Radio, live and on demand, including BYU Sports Nation, which, of course, airs Monday to Friday. This week on Behind the Mic, we conclude our series of interviews with the newest BYU football coaches. Tonight, we'll be hearing from former BYU wide receiver and punt return specialist Aaron Roderick, then a couple of great former Cougar hoopsters from Shanghai, China. BYU's second all-time scoring leader and National Player of the Year, Jimmer Fredette. Jimmer will talk to us from Shanghai, where he's currently in the Chinese Basketball Association playoffs with the Shanghai Sharks. After Jimmer, it's a conversation with the NCAA career record holder in triple doubles, former West Coast Conference Player of the Year and current member of the Dallas Mavericks, Kyle Collinsworth. Kyle joining us live from Dallas, Texas tonight. My interview with Kyle is tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment, sponsored by BYU Alumni. But we start tonight's show by welcoming into Studio 2 a two-decade college football coaching veteran already with the BYU Cougars as a grad assistant, and then Snow College, Southern Utah, and the University of Utah. After dabbling on the defensive side of the ball as a linebacker's grad assistant with BYU way back in the day, Aaron Roderick has coached running backs, wide receivers and quarterbacks, and coordinated offenses and passing games for most of the last 20 years. He is now part of the new BYU offensive coaching staff as part of coordinator Jeff Grimes, first offensive staff at BYU. He's the new quarterbacks coach and pass game coordinator, and Coach Roderick has a lot of quarterbacks in his position room as spring ball gets underway this week in Provo. Once a BYU player, Aaron Roderick, once again back at BYU, and it is my pleasure to welcome him back and welcome him into Studio 2 on Behind the Mic. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So you were a part of uh, the BYU football program as a player and a grad assistant coach for six years in the late 90s to early 2000s. After a good 16 years away from the program, how is it just being a Cougar again? It's great to be back. You know, I'm working with some really great guys. um, This staff has been fantastic. You know, from the first day, um, 
I'm a big believer in Kalani and go way back with him. And um, the offensive staff that I'm working with, you know, we all didn't, we all knew each other or sort of, most of us knew each other from various points, but hadn't worked together. Mm-hmm. And it's been, man, the, the chemistry on that staff has been really great. And it's as good as good of an offensive staff as I've ever been a part of. So it's been really fun. Of course, no games have been played yet, but uh, there's a good vibe and a good feel among this staff, right? Very much so. Yeah, we had a lot of good conversations before we agreed to take the job in the first place. So Jeff Grimes and I had talked. Um, there were conversations with Fessy and all of us sort of making sure that, uh, you know, I think the first thing was Kalani and Grimes wanting us around, and then the next part was, okay, if we're going to do this, how are we doing it? Let's do it right. And um, it's been from day one we've really, I think, been hitting on all cylinders. Let's go back, like way back. Uh, Your hometown was listed as Bountiful. Yeah. But where did you do all of your growing up? So I was born uh, in Salt Lake City, and then we moved to Illinois when I was really young. My my dad was an air traffic controller, so we lived in Wheaton, Illinois, Chicago area. Uh, went to elementary school, a few years of elementary school there. Did he work at O'Hare or Midway or what? Yeah, what, O'Hare. Okay. Um, and then we we moved back to Utah years later, and I ended up you know doing you know uh, Bountiful's home. I went to Bountiful High, and yeah. and um, but those years in Illinois were definitely part of what shaped my interest in sports. I lived in a Cubs neighborhood and my little league coach was a White Sox fan and he had season tickets. So he would take me and his son, who was my friend, he he would take us to White Sox games. So old Comiskey. Old Comiskey Park, correct. And uh, I learned early on that in Chicago, the Cubs Sox thing is a serious thing. You have to choose. And you know, all the kids in my neighborhood like the Cubs, and um, been a Sox fan ever since because I went to those games. Right. But yeah, I've loved the Chicago Bears my whole life. Uh, you know, Walter Payton and all the old Bears, Jim McMahon. Yeah. Um, those were those are great memories. So it, it was just a great sports city and uh, great sports area. So I just the few years I lived there, I just that's all we did was play every sport. That was really sort of the start of it for me. Three sports, all state at Bountiful. Which three sports? Uh, baseball, basketball, football. At what point did you figure that football was going to be the one for you long term? I don't know. Looking back on it, I really don't even know how I ended up playing football. I, I mean, I, basketball, I was probably pretty average in the big picture you know, and, and not very tall. Um, I was probably better at baseball. and But um, football was a sport I liked the best. And... Got recruited to play at Rick's College. Uh, Gary Anderson recruited me to play at Rick's College. And then while I was on my mission, he left and Robert and I took his place. And so Gary was my link to getting recruited there. And then Robert was the one who really pushed for me to get recruited by BYU. And he really went to bat for me. Um, to get Lavelle and Coach Chow to give me a chance. This coaching game, the, it's all connections and relationships. No question. Yeah. 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 So, and, and mission for you was to uh, to Columbia, and you yeah. did that. So, out of high school, pre Ricks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, mission was done before you started anything athletics uh, collegiately. That's, yeah, that's correct. Okay. So, to Ricks for a couple seasons, uh, 94, 95, you're a JUCO All American there, wide out, but also a return specialist. And you were you that 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 was one of the strongest parts of your game, wasn't it? Yeah, that was probably what I did best. And, and, you know, when I was here at BYU, I was a pretty average player. But um, I I got a chance to play because I knew what to do. You know, I was the guy that they could put in the game at any position. I'd, I'd end up 
playing starters number of snaps at four different positions <laughs> plus you know x number of snaps on special teams and that was just my way in I always knew it I you know I, I wasn't the greatest player but I knew I could get on the field if I knew what to do and um, I could just find a way to help the team and I think that was part of what one of the factors that led me into coaching you remained a return specialist at BYU, but you did catch enough balls uh, to get in the end zone four times, uh, a few hundred yards over those two seasons. Now, there were two playing seasons for you, active player, 97-98, which meant you redshirted in 96. Yeah. That was quite a year to redshirt because yeah, you were helping a 14-1 and team <laughs> that year. I presume you were a scout team that year in 96. I, I actually wasn't. So interestingly, I was the backup punt returner to James Dye. There was... That team did not have, for whatever reason, there wasn't anybody else who could catch a punt, I think, besides <laughs> me. Uh, and then I was the next receiver up. But you uh, technically it was a redshirt year for you. So right? I, Yeah, so what happened was I redshirted, but they traveled me every game. I traveled the whole year, uh, sort of as the next guy so up. So ready to go, just ready never, to just go never every went. week, dressed and ready to play. I mean, all the way to the bitter end, dressed and ready to play. So you feel as much I part mean, of that 14-1 team as anybody, because yeah. you were with you were on every trip. Yeah, Brian Mitchell would come to me every game like be ready if something happens to james you're going in and meantime james was legit <laughs> oh james die was awesome yeah i was nowhere near james die but but uh i always had to have my mind right that if something happened to james i might have to go in and catch a punt and um so yeah that was that was an interesting year but it was a blast being a part of a team that good and um watching just how those guys operated and and it was there was a lot of really good players on that team. Yeah, how do you uh, how do you look back on that fourteen and one season? I think that's still the most wins in a season, and it's funny how much when I see guys on that team, how much they still talk about losing at Washington. It's funny how those things stick with you. But yeah, that team was loaded with great players, and it's still fun when when you see those guys. You played in ninety seven and uh, and ninety eight. You're playing with a guy named Kalani Sataki by that point. Yeah. We were teammates, and uh, you know we weren't like best buddies back then, but we were we were definitely good f- good friends. And and uh, he he was a great teammate, and Kalani was a guy that would give it up for the team. He'd do anything, you know, he would do anything to to help you win a game. When your playing career concluded, you did you ever already have a pretty strong sense that if you could find a spot that you'd like to stay in coaching and stay on the BYU staff if you could, which is what you did. Yeah, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to be a coach. Um, when my family moved back to Utah from Illinois, we moved in. We were neighbors with um, uh, the Godfreys in Bountiful. Chris Godfrey, he ended up playing linebacker at Utah. But his, his dad, Clark, was the basketball coach uh, at West High for a long time and used to go to West High basketball games and ride the bus with the West High Panthers. And and I loved just being around it and watching him coach. We'd go to practice and just watch him coach. And then uh, another uh, – you know, neighbor or, or friend of ours was the Archibald family, and he used to go to games with with the Archibalds. Are we talking Lynn and his family? Lynn Archibald, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so by the time I came to BYU, that's another thing is Lynn. Lynn played a role in me getting recruited here as well. He he was an assistant basketball coach. Here he was on that staff in the mid nineties. Yeah, it was really Robert and I and Lynn Archibald. Lynn was neighbors with Lance Reynolds, and he kept <laughs> pushing Lance like, "Hey, you got to look at this guy's film." You know, that was the days of. You send your VHS tape in a in a brown envelope and yeah. hope, hope that somebody sees it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it was L- Robert's phone calls, and then Lynn. I think I think Lynn was actually the one who like handed the tape over and said, "You guys need to watch this." And huh. um, 
but anyway, being around the Archibalds and then Clark Godfrey, I, I was around coaching and I saw those guys coach and I, I just loved it. I watched them, watched uh, just the way they, you know, they transformed people's lives and, and got to be a part of, of, of the game. Did you only have one year on the true defensive side of the ball? When you were yeah. a linebacker's grad assistant here? Yeah, my first year, I helped Ken Schmidt with linebackers. And uh, we had Rob Morris and <laughs> Justin Enna and, uh, oh, shoot, I'm forgetting all the guys now. There was there was a good group of linebackers. Uh, I think it was Gabe Reed was still playing, I believe. That was fun. Uh, from linebackers, uh, then back on the offensive side of the ball, you, you got the end of the Lavelle era and the yeah. start of the Gary Croton era, didn't you? Yeah, it was it was an interesting time because uh, in, in – uh, you know, there hadn't been much change here in a long time. And then I was a grad assistant for uh, Coach Chow's last season. I was on defense, but I was there, mm-hmm. you know, watching things operate. And I had played for Coach Chow. Right. And then Lavelle's last year, Lance Reynolds was the offensive coordinator. So I was part of the offensive staff that year and got to learn a lot from Lance. And then the next year was Gary Croton's first year and learned a ton that year as well. So seeing the, you know, the three different coordinators and the way things operated it was fun for me to just take it all in then you got your first paying job first real paying gig going to snow right yeah (laughs) i think they gave me three i think i got three thousand dollars and a dorm room you got a w2 i'm pretty sure by the end of it yeah yeah i got a they gave me three thousand dollars in a dorm room (laughs) that was that was uh that was my pay you're a running backs coach there yeah running backs and i was there for about four months. <laughs> I, I, I showed up the day before fall camp started, and I got hired at Southern Utah just right after the season. Yeah. Now, when you went to Southern Utah, and you were an OC there and a quarterback's coach there, you're there the same two years Kalani's there. Yeah. Steve Clark is there. One of your wideouts is a kid named Fessy Satake. Yeah. Elisa Tuiaki's a running back. Yeah. So now we get back to the whole connections, relationships, yeah. going back years and years, and there you all are together. Yeah, so I, I coached Elisa at Snow. and then He was when, a running back there, he too. Was, yeah. yeah, I coached him. And so then when uh, when Gary hired me at Southern Utah, I talked him into giving Elisa a scholarship. So then E came and played fullback for us. and um, Fessy we, was a freshman. Fe, and then Fessy, I recruited him out of Hillcrest to play receiver <laughs> for us, and he was a good player. And Kalani was the offensive line coach, and it was fun fun times and you were there uh really at the same time you guys i think i think you both had two years together you and kalani before you both end up moving at the same time now to utah yeah and that was when we went to utah um that was the first time kalani ever coached on defense i believe i think he'd always been an offensive player or coach up to that point i might be mistaken about that but he he moved from offense to defense and i coached receivers for the first few years at utah and then before long, Elisa ends up there back yeah. after a few years. He back he's he's back up there with you. Yeah, we uh, he was coaching high school football at Kearns High School, and we knew that he was going to be an outstanding coach and had all the you know just what it takes to be a coach. And he's a great communicator and really high character guy. And we thought he'd be a great addition. So we talked the uh, our you know we pushed for him to be a grad assistant and. Uh, he did an awesome job. And went from there. So a decade plus up at Utah and all kinds of roles for you there, all on the offensive side of the ball, but from uh, from QB coach to wide receiver coach, co-OC, pass game coordinator, 
you got a breadth of experience yeah. in your in your seasons in, in Salt Lake City and some great years, some legendary years in the Utah football history. Uh, what are maybe either favorite memories or what you take most from a lot of years spent up in Salt Lake City? Well, I, man, that's a lot. That's a tough question. But um, first thing was I was just thankful to be in one place for 12 years. In this profession, it's hard to stay in one place that long. And you could even maybe argue that I stayed a little too long, but um, it's difficult. And I've, I knew early on in my career, I'd, if I could help it, I didn't want to be hopping all around the country and, and changing jobs every few years. Not to, not to knock anybody who's done that, because sometimes you have to. Um, but th- it was important for me, and, um, and we were winning a lot of games, so it made sense to stay. And, um, you know, there were obviously, it's well documented, there was a couple of times where I... I uh, left or almost left or whatever, however you want to say it. But um, I was really, and still am really thankful that I had a chance to be there that long. And the, probably the best thing I take away from it though, is just the relationships I had with players I coached and people I coached with. And that's why you do this. You know, I don't, I think most coaches, uh, you know, you, you don't really spend a lot of time thinking about all the games and what happened in this game or that game, what you really take away from this game is just the relationships you develop with players and coaches, and and those are the things that really last. While you were fully immersed in your other jobs when you had them, how closely did you keep an eye on what was happening down here at BYU? And and what do you think now that you're here of the opportunities and the challenges, too, of being an FBS independent? Uh, Yeah, I've always followed BYU closely, and even though we were rivals, I never once in Kalani was the same way. We we never sat around hoping BYU would lose or or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, the rivalry is is fun. Uh, it's real. It's serious. it's Cubs, White Sox, and then some. It, yeah, I mean, it matters. <laughs> it's and 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 uh, but I I never was sitting around hoping for bad things. I followed BYU the same way that anybody would about their alma mater. I mean, I wanted wanted good things for and I knew most of the coaches the whole time and and always wished good things on those guys and when I'd so, say hi to you in pregame you'd say hi back it oh was okay. yeah yeah it was <laughs> awesome and and uh you know it's just that one game a year where you you had to do your you had a job to do you go I gotta go win this game and and um so that was you know but I never I always followed BYU closely and and I'm I feel like I'm still well versed in everything that's happened here whether I was you know while I was away the independent thing is challenging. The schedule is tough, um, but I'm really excited about this opportunity. I think, um, you know, the schedule is such that if if we play well in the big games, we really have a chance to, you know, draw some attention to BYU and 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 uh, we you know to play well in those big games is is important. And I mean, every game's big, but the schedule we have is as difficult as it's ever been at BYU. And um, I look forward to it. I mean, a lot of the teams on that schedule are teams I'm very familiar with, teams I've been coaching against and know those staffs and know their schemes and know what they're doing. And hopefully our players gain some confidence from that, that we have coaches on the staff that have coached at that level uh, for years. There's a lot of experience on the staff, and uh, we're ready to take that on. I saw you around this past season as kind of an informal observer, so you kind of know what what BYU faced last year and what they've got coming into this year. We're now into spring ball. Uh, What's on the to-do list for you and your position group in these next few weeks? Well, the first order of business is, you know, 
just getting everyone uh, knowing what to do. Okay, so we, we're sort of drinking out of a fire hose right now, and we've thrown a lot of offense at the players already. They've got a really large chunk of our playbook already in place. So we're trying to make sure the players know what to do. Uh, and then during spring, the idea is that now we refine the techniques of how to do it. So, you know, on this given play, knowing who to block, knowing what the read progression is for the quarterback, knowing what the routes are, that type of thing. Knowing the playbook is most important right now. And then as we start practicing, we will detail every little technique and how to get your job done on on these plays. And um, so that's the first part. And then as far as what we want to accomplish with the quarterbacks, it's we have a large number right now. Yeah, what's, and, what's, what is the number? <laughs> uh, well, the number is about eight, but with a couple of injuries that we have, which I would rather not go into right now, that we'll, we'll have five or six guys in spring that are healthy, ready to play, but there aren't enough reps to give to five or six guys. Mm-hmm. So the hard part for me is I've got to figure out a way to whittle this thing down to a manageable number where the reps are actually meaningful enough that somebody's getting better. I mean, I could I could divvy them up six ways and say, okay, we'll see whoever plays best, but the number of reps they would get would be so small that it would be hard to get better, hard to improve. So we're going to have to make some tough decisions and, and whittle that thing down to a, a number that's manageable, and then um, then we'll add Tanner or Mangum to the mix in the fall to, to compete with two or three guys that we, we get that thing down to and – but it is going to be a real serious competition. Nobody's promised anything right now. Um, no one's going to be given anything. They're going to start from the ground up and earn it. Can you speak in general terms about how Tanner Mangum's doing in his rehab and what is reasonable to expect from him for 2018? In general terms, he, my understanding is that he's on schedule or, or he, ahead of schedule um, and that I'm not a doctor, but the injury is not quite as serious as maybe it used to be in the past as far as like how they the things they do now to help repair that injury or uh, guys can make it back a little quicker than it used to be. Um, but from my point of view, I, I expect him to be ready to play. That's what I've been told, that he'll be ready. So you're counting um, on him to be one of your guys in 2018 and not, and not have to miss the season? Counting on him to be in the mix, yeah. And, yeah. and um you know, my thought about Tanner is that we've all seen him play well before, so it's our job as a staff to get him back to that level. And then if one of the other QBs or or more than one of the other QBs can match that or surpass it, then great. If they can't, then um, hopefully he can play like we know he's capable of playing and raise the bar for everybody, and then we can have a real high-level competition instead of you know, just saying, well, the bar's really low, yeah. and just whoever whoever can just barely eke out the other guy gets the job. So regarding that competition, I guess, best-case scenario, when you guys put on the pads in August, he's part of that competition? I expect him to be part yeah. of it, yeah. And like I said, he, he knows, and he's been awesome, by the way. He doesn't want anything given to him. I think when you go through a tough year like that, it's almost a relief to just know, okay, I'm starting over. I don't have to carry this burden. He doesn't have to carry this burden on his shoulders all hmm. season that, that – whatever went on in the past is on him. It's clean start for every guy in this offense from the ground up. We're starting from scratch. Uh, Coach Grimes asked us, intentionally asked us not to watch a lot of film of last year. And I can't help it that I saw yeah. uh, about half the games last year and made it to a few practices. But 
um, he's asked us to just start from now and moving forward. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to just seeing how these guys perform. Well, it's an exciting time for you, uh, the new coaches, the old coaches, players, and everybody in Cougar Nation to see what uh, transpires in spring ball and beyond here in 2018. Aaron, it's great to have you back, and it was really good to have you here in, uh, in studio. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, that is BYU's new quarterbacks coach and former BYU wide receiver and return specialist, Aaron Roderick. Good to have Aaron in. Behind the mic with Greg Grubel. We'll come back after this break. We'll be chatting with somebody you might have heard of before. His name is Jimmer Fredette. Jimmer's coming up next from China as we continue Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel here on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, and the BYU Radio app. Back after this. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Well, the 2017-18 BYU basketball season marked 10 years since Jimmer Fredette came west from upstate New York to start his career as a BYU Cougar. In that freshman season of 2007-08, Jimmer played all 35 games but didn't start any of them for BYU. As a sophomore, Jimmer was an every-game starter but the second-leading scorer on a team led by senior Lee Kamard. The following season, Jimmer Fredette began to really capture the imagination of Cougar Nation and the college basketball world as he had multiple games scoring in the 30s, multiple games in the 40s, and BYU won 30 games for the first time in school history, including a win in the NCAA tournament for the first time in 17 years. The following season, Jimmer's senior campaign ushered in what we soon called the Jimmer Mania as BYU won a school record 32 games and advanced to the Sweet 16 for the first time in 30 years. And the season ended with Jimmer winning multiple awards from Conference Player of the Year to National Player of the Year. A top 10 NBA draft pick in 2011, Jimmer played the next five seasons in the NBA before taking his talents overseas to China where he's become a beloved superstar for the Shanghai Sharks, a CBA All-Star and League International MVP. And it is from Shanghai, China, where Jimmer Fredette joins us tonight behind the mic. Jimmer, welcome in and ni hao. Ah, ni hao, Greg. How are you? <laughs> Doing really, really well. It's awesome to talk with you. Thank you so much for, for spending a few minutes. And uh, yeah, I, I look at what you're doing right now, and I just wonder, growing up in Glens Falls, New York, could you ever have imagined the life you are living now? I imagine that I would be a professional basketball player. I mean, that's what I always wanted to do. And, um, you know, I love the sport. So I, I definitely imagined myself being a, a professional basketball player, but I only thought that I was going to be playing in the NBA. So I did not uh, see myself playing overseas in China. I honestly didn't think that I would ever visit China for any reason, to be honest with you. But. Um, to be here and playing basketball has been uh, a real blessing, and um, I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. And, um, you know, I'm excited to, to see what happens in the future. But, uh, you know, to play in Shanghai as a professional basketball player here has been, has been a really great thing. Yeah, how would you further describe your experience playing in the Chinese Basketball Association? Uh, it's, it's been great, but, um, you know, it's, it's very different. Um, you know, not necessarily the basketball on the floor, but... You know, just the, the living experience off the floor. Um, you know, the first thing, I, I'm living away from my family, which is definitely the, the, the hardest part about it for most of the time. Um, you know, they come over and visit, which is great, but they don't live over here full time. But uh, other than that, I mean, the culture is just, is just very different. There's a lot of things 
um, you know, off the floor that uh, culturally are, are different than what you would think, um, you know, as a Western person that live living in the U.S., you know, the food is different. Um, you know, obviously the language barrier is tough. Um, you know, the, the way that they go about things um, off the floor, uh, the chain of command. Um, and, uh, you know, they're very respectful to their elders and, and, and um, you know, are very, uh, um, they, 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 they are very good at taking orders and, and following orders, whereas sometimes maybe our Western people aren't, aren't as good as that, aren't as, as good at that. And um, it's, uh, it's definitely different, but um, I've enjoyed every minute of it. And, um, you know, trying to continue to learn more about the culture, learn more about the language, and uh, embrace myself in it as much as I possibly can. Visiting with Jimmer Fredette from Shanghai. Uh, how excited, it's playoff time for you guys, how excited are supporters of your team and the league in general about uh, the postseason? Uh, very excited. You know, it's, uh, it's always great to be able to be a part of the playoffs. Everything becomes more intense, and uh, the games are fun. Uh, the arenas are packed um, when you get to the playoffs, just like anywhere in the world. But um, this is the first time we've been to the playoffs back-to-back years since 2002. Uh, and uh, that's when uh, Yao Ming was playing, mm. and uh, they were a great team. So it's uh, really excited for the organization. It's exciting for the city. Um, people are enjoying basketball here and loving uh, what this team has been able to accomplish over the last two years. And uh, we have a long way to go to get better, but uh, it's been it's been a cool experience to see the, the city rally around this team. Well, you've had another great season personally, and it was about this time last year. I was on uh, the coach's show with Dave Rose. We were talking about how well you were doing in China last year. And Dave said something along the lines of this. I want to paraphrase him. He said, it's, for Jimmer right now, it's kind of like the way he always envisioned it, which is... He has the ball in his hands. He shoots the ball. It goes in the hoop, and people cheer for him. And we've seen a lot of that with you in China. Is that pretty fair? Yeah, coach knows best. <laughs> you know, coach knows best. Uh, that's 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 what I like. Um, you know, it, it it's been able. It's been a great experience here. It's been rejuvenated and uh, been able to, you know, be a, a a big part of this team and be the leader of this team uh, to be able to show people what I could do again. I think that's. Uh, that's a great part about this this whole thing is that I've been able to to prove that I can can, can still play um, at a very high level and be able to lead a team uh, not only um, you know just to play well individually but also our team being able to play well and being able to accomplish things we haven't been able to do before um, and that's the biggest thing is for me is to be able to win basketball games and I'm going to try to do that the best way that I know how and uh, the majority of the time is being able to score the basketball at a high level and, and try to help our team get better. But, um, you know, it's it's been great. And, uh, you know, the narrative on, on me and, and my career has, I think, has, has changed a little bit since I've been able to come to China where, you know, people thought that I, you know, was a bust and couldn't play and, you know, maybe shouldn't have been in the NBA to now. It's like, why is this kid not in the NBA? <laughs> what What is going on? he should be over there playing. So I think narrative has kind of changed a little bit. So I think that's been a, a great part about this experience as well. As one of the international roster guys uh, on, on a predominantly Chinese team, how do you describe team chemistry? You know, it, it's great. You know, our, our guys are, are really, really good guys. You know, that's, that's one of the big problems here in the CBA, the difference between maybe the really good teams and the not as good teams is um, sometimes the, the imports don't get along as well with the coaching staff um, and or the, the players on the team. 
uh, they some of them keep to themselves or you know don't understand necessarily the culture like I've talked about before and the chain of command and different things that goes on that um, you know we're not necessarily used to and that you kind of have to embrace while you're here um, and uh, myself and Nick uh, Minarath and last year Gershon Ubiselli, um our other two imports mm-hmm. uh, really have uh, embraced that as well and I think because we have a, a great chemistry you know off the floor with a lot of these guys um, it's it's translated on the floor but um, they're they're good people they're very humble people they listen um, no egos on this team, and uh, a lot of them speak pretty decent English, which is really, uh, mm. really great for us. So we can communicate a lot better on and off the floor. What do you like most about the Chinese culture and day-to-day living in, in Shanghai? You know, they're very family-oriented, which is something that I love. Um, you know, obviously, my family is my most important part of my life, and they're very family-oriented people, and they understand. Um, they understand things, and uh, you know, know that. That family comes first, and uh, so I appreciate that. And they've been able to embrace my family here when they've been able to come out and uh, myself. So that that's one one part about it that I love. The, the city of Shanghai itself is is an amazing city. Uh, I, I I think it's by far the best city in China. Um, you know, it's it's huge, and uh, there's you know like 30 million people here, and uh, hmm. you, there's pretty much you can do anything that you want. You know, they have great food here. Um, you know, the subway system, I use that all the time to get around and it's real easy to get around anywhere that I want. And I know this city pretty well now, so I can get to all the places, all the Western food and, you know, they have great Italian food. They have great Mexican food. (laughs) They have great, um, you know, obviously Asian and Chinese food and, uh, pretty much anything that you want. A lot of American grills. Um, so uh, it, it's it's a great place for that, whereas some of these other cities that some of these guys have to play in are really, really difficult to live in. I haven't made over here specifically in this city, so it's uh, so it's a great experience. Besides your family, what do you miss most about America? <laughs> There's a lot of little things that you miss, and one thing that I miss, honestly, is being able to just drive my car. Uh, we, you're not able to drive over here. And, um, if we do go somewhere, like I said, it's either on a subway or a taxi or I have to walk. I can't just get in my car and drive and nor would I want to try to drive over here. It's super confusing, really congested. And they drive differently than we do, um, (laughs) back in the States. Um, so that's, you know, one thing that I miss, um, you know, I, I miss, uh, you know, it's very, very kind of like gray over here. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the air pollution, but also just, um, you know, it doesn't, the sun does not show through very often. Um, so especially back in Colorado and in Utah, um, you know, my, I I love being able to wake up to the sun like 300 days out of the year. So you don't see that whole often here. So that's something that I definitely miss as well. How are Whitney and baby Wesley and explain the family situation with your wife and, and, and daughter right now? Yeah, they're doing great. Um, you know, it was my daughter's first birthday, Jane, or February 24th, so the day before my birthday, and uh, they had a little uh, Minnie Mouse party for her. So, I mean, it, it was it was great. She loved every second of it, and uh, they had a great time. And, and right now they're doing really well. Um, they're excited for me to get home, obviously, and it just kind of depends on how we do in the playoffs here. So, yeah. you know, we could be home soon. It could be, could be a, co- a month from now. So it just kind of depends on what happens and uh you know for for Whitney it's 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 bittersweet if we win um or we lose you know so it's kind of the same for me as well um but uh either option is really good and you know excited to 
to be able to get back with them. But they've been doing great. I mean, Whitney's been so supportive through this whole thing. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy to to live, you know, back at in Colorado in the states uh, by herself to raise, you know, raise little Wes and uh, and and be there with George. But um, she's been amazing with that, and her mom has been a huge help, um, who is who's there and and helps her. So. Now, I'm appreciative of that so I could be out here playing basketball and be able to provide for the family. And, uh, um, you know, I just appreciate her and, and all that she does. Were you guys able to arrange any in-season visits? Yeah, definitely. They were out here all the whole month of November. They were here for Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, so they were here for a while. And Little Wes was the hit of the, the hit of the show everywhere <laughs> that we went. Oh, my goodness. Like all the... The Asian old lady is an old man would come up and she had pictures taken of her like crazy. And people just wanted to hold her. And we have we have photos of it and of uh, the groups around her. So uh, it's it's crazy. It's it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And the people just love her big blue eyes. They, that's all they talked about were her big hmm. blue eyes. And, and uh, you know, so she was the hit of the party. But uh, we had a lot of fun while they were here. We went to Disney and, uh, you know, did a lot of uh fun things while they were here. And, and then Whitney came back out in January, actually, for a little while uh, without Wes. And uh, so that was a good time as well. And her mom uh, babysat. And, uh, you know, so we broke it up a little bit. And, um, you know, it's it's been really fun. But now I'm excited to, to get back. Yeah, for real. Well, it sounds like Wesley's on her way to being the most uh, famous American baby in China, if that's possible. Have you, uh, you, you talked about it earlier, uh, Jimmer. Have you, I mean, do you see yourself getting another shot in the NBA, have you closed any doors mentally with that whole thing, or do you just play and, and and wait to see what happens? Yeah, you know, you know, we'll see what happens. I haven't closed the door to it mentally for sure, fully. You know, I think I'm at a place right now where if I didn't play back in the NBA, it, it would it wouldn't bother me. I'm at a place right now where I just want to be able to play and be able to succeed and have a great time and make as uh, as much money as I possibly can during this this opportunity. Um, but if an opportunity does arise where, you know, I feel like it's a great opportunity for me to play back in the NBA where I'm going to get a shot to actually play and show what I can do on a nightly basis, then, yeah, I would love to have that opportunity. Obviously, it's it's easier uh, living back in the U.S. and I would have my family. And, um, you know, that's always been a dream and a goal of mine. So it hasn't, you know, it's definitely hasn't uh, been closed completely. Um, but I'm at a place right now where, like I said, I just want to be able to to succeed and be able to have a, a great opportunity to play to play basketball and do the best that I can. Talking with Jimmer Fredette right now from uh, Shanghai, China, where it's Thursday morning as we speak. Uh, I mentioned in the intro, Jimmer, that your freshman season at BYU ended 10 years ago. Can you believe it's been that long? I can't believe it. It makes me sound old, and I and I don't like that. You know, I just... <laughs> It's it's unbelievable. I, I yeah, I just celebrated my 29th birthday, and um, you know, so it's it's crazy how time flies by. It just feels like yesterday that I was just starting and at BYU, and uh, you know, trying to earn my spot and all the the practices that we had, and you know, down at the the Marriott Center and and uh, BRB, we didn't have the beautiful practice facility that they have now. Yeah, have that luxury, but. Um, and I, I remember all of those days, and I remember that that freshman that freshman year so well. And that freshman year is, you know, a huge part of why I am um, who I am today. When all the the uh, the the hard work that I put into it to try to prove that I could play and uh, be a, a big part of this team. So uh, you know, it's it's crazy that it's been ten years, but you know, time flies when you're having fun. So I've enjoyed every second.
I mentioned you weren't a starter that freshman year, and, and I think your story becomes an even better story because of that. It's about perseverance. It's about hard work, being patient. All those things kind of play into it because people might have thought, well, Jimmer stepped on the, on, you know, on, the, on the campus as a superstar and kind of ran things from the get-go. That wasn't the way it was for you. No, not at all. It took me, it took a full two years until I, you know, started to actually, uh, you know, be one of the, the, one of the men that, that, that he counted on every single night. You know, my, like you said, my sophomore year I started, but Lee, you know, Lee was the man on that team. And we had Jonathan Tavernari, um, who was, uh, who's been there for a while, who was a great scorer and, uh, you know, guys that had been there and, and had played a while and were leaders of the team. And uh, so I was just trying to do all I could to help the team uh, advance and, and be the best that I could. But uh, I think towards that sophomore year, I really started to shine and had some real big games. Um, as we move forward in that season, I think coach and everybody, you know, started to see that and respect me and look to me as a, as a leader of the team. And uh, and I think that's kind of where it started from. But uh, it wasn't just handed to me. It was definitely something that I deserved and, and worked hard for. And, um, you know, I think that makes it makes it much more more sweet when you're able to accomplish these types of things. And uh, when you work hard for it, you're not just giving it. Well, Jim, I'm, I'm afraid you get asked this a lot, but what are the most lasting memories of BYU that you've taken with you? You know, there's so many great memories that I've had. I mean, the the relationships that I've made were I mean, were, was obviously by far the lasting memories. I still talk with all my teammates to this day and, you know, specifically Jackson Emery. You know, he's uh, I, I, I talk with him like two or three times a week. Hmm. We, we text and uh, and uh, we've gone on vacations with each other's families now and have done a lot of great things together. He's such a, a great kid and just had his third baby. And, you know, I'm I'm, ex- I'm so excited for him. And, um, you know, he's he's been a big part of, uh, you know, uh, of my life going forward. But so the relationships that I made with all the people there, but, you know, on the floor, obviously uh, beating Gonzaga and making it to the Sweet 16. Um, is something that, uh, you know, I'll never forget. And one of my best memories from BYU, just, uh, you know, to be able to accomplish something that we hadn't done in, you know, 30 years or so. And uh, to see all the people from uh, from BYU, but not just around the, the Utah area, all over the country, mm. people were supporting us. And uh, to see the support that we had and uh, and everything was just something that was special. It was a special year, and um, you know, I I try not to take those things for granted because uh, it it only comes around once in a while when you have a type of year like yeah. that. So it's uh, really, really, really a fun experience. And um, you know, obviously, I met Whitney at, at BYU, so that's the best thing that I ever did too. So <laughs> it's uh, it's a lot of great things that happened there, and um, I love going back to get to see everybody. And it's just uh, yeah, I just had an amazing experience. Do you still see the occasional BYU logo on a hat or a jersey in China? Oh yeah, I mean every everywhere that I go, you know, I always see BYU fans in the stands, and um, you know some of them are, some of them are um, you know people from the states or from Utah, or you know you could tell that they're um, you know a different race. There are white people up there, but then there is also a lot of um, Asian people that just get BYU jerseys and put them in and have them in the stands. <laughs> That's a awesome. A lot of people here in the Sharks, so it's not just. It's not just uh, members of the church or people from uh, from the states. It's people that get them off of Taobao, which is like a you know, it's basically like the Amazon yeah. out here in 
in the in China, and it's uh, they they get them like special made out here somehow. And I see BYU thirty two jerseys in the fan <laughs> in the stands, and people want me to sign them and everything, and that which is, is super funny because I'm pretty sure none of them are members of the church, but they yeah. know about BYU, which is uh, which is great. <laughs> Man, that is so cool. Uh, when are you going to make it back to Provo and get back on campus? I'll definitely be back several times this summer. Um, I'm not sure. I think the first time I'll be back is probably in June. Um, we'll have our three on three basketball tournament yeah. and do some foundation things in June. And then I'll be back. Um, I'll be back in probably July and then definitely in, in September, I'll be back for as many football games yeah. as I can be. There you go. We always have our, our annual golf tournament, but yep. I'll try to get back a couple times, uh, just to get back to work out at the facility and maybe hopefully get together with some of the BYU guys to be able to to work out with them and uh, you know just have fun and enjoy that facility too well you lead me into this so how is the generosity campaign going and how gratifying is it to be able to make a difference uh, through uh, your foundation you know it's been one of the best things that I've been able to do as far as my ba- as far as my career is concerned um, to be able to to give back and to help kids and to help families um, in the areas that we're able to help is um, has been unbelievably rewarding and um, it's, you know, it's what it's all about. That's why we're here on this earth to, to try to help others and to do to do kind things, to do good works. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to to help out as much as I possibly can. I mean, I'm not there on a on a day to day basis. Um, my, my dad and Blair Giles, our president um, and all the people that, that are interns that help that are from BYU and all the members of the board that are in the community, uh, who Brian Santiago's on it and a lot of, um, influential people in the, the Utah County area are on our board, uh, to be able to help, um, organize a lot of these things and the teachers that are all involved. And the main thing is the students that are involved at all the high schools and all the middle schools and elementary schools that we're a part of. The students are the biggest part of it and they go out and, and they are trying to help their fellow students become kind and inclusive and, and to do good things, and uh, we're trying to promote that as much as we can. Um, and it's it's been a great experience. I, I've actually met a family out here in, in Utah um, that have uh, helped the initiative start in Pleasant Grove. So we're in Pleasant Grove really doing some great things there in that school district. Um, so it's continuing to expand, continuing to grow. And uh, my hometown in Glens Falls and all the surrounding areas there have picked up our generosity as well and it's 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 been so fun to see it grow and we just hope that it continues to have support um and um it's 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 been a really great success so far well i'm certain that it will continue to have that support Uh, jimmy you're a great man a great player and you do great work and i and cougar nation have such fond memories of you and uh, you're a part of some of my most favorite uh, professional memories as a broadcaster of course and it's been fun getting to getting to know you over the years and still be able to follow you doing what you do so well wish you all the best in the postseason and hopefully we'll see you uh, during the offseason when you're back in town definitely greg now i appreciate it and uh, i just wanted to let you know that you know you're the best at what you do I, we appreciate you and all you do for Cougar Nation. You're you're the man, so we, we love you and uh, you know thanks for the opportunity to to speak and I'll talk with you soon. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. All the best in the postseason, and we'll we'll see you soon. No problem. See you, Greg. All right, that is Jimmer Fredette from Shanghai, China. Fantastic. We'll come back after this with another great former Cougar hoopster, Dallas Maverick Kyle Collinsworth, coming up next on our season finale of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel here on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, and the BYU Radio app. Back in a minute. With 
the BYU license plates, no matter where you are, you show your Cougar spirit and you make it possible for students to get an education. The donation you make when you get the license plates goes to support BYU scholarships. So whether spreading Cougar pride coast to coast or getting to the big game, you're also funding scholarship opportunities for BYU students. Learn about free special plates today at alumni.byu.edu slash plates. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Well, in the early years of the Dave Rose coaching era at BYU, Kyle Collinsworth was a star in the making across the street at Provo High School, where he won multiple state titles and Player of the Year honors. By the time Kyle had to decide whether to play, where to play his college basketball, older brother Chris had already established himself as a fixture in the BYU basketball program. But getting Kyle was no slam dunk for BYU. Kyle was going to make up his own mind, and in the end he chose the Cougars, and BYU fans are really glad he did. Following a freshman season in which he helped BYU to its first Sweet 16 in decades, Kyle served a mission to Russia, then returned to BYU where he led BYU as a do-it-all point guard. His sophomore year ended with a torn ACL in the WCC tournament. His team played in the NCAAs without him. Grueling rehab brought Kyle back for junior and senior seasons that put him in the record books and put BYU in the NCAA tournament as a junior and the NIT semis at Madison Square Garden as a senior. Of course, he's known for his record-setting six single season and 12 career triple-doubles, but the totality of his career to this point is the most impressive thing about him as he went from returned missionary through rehab into the record books and eventually to the NBA as an undrafted free agent. Kyle Collinsworth now plays the Dallas Mavericks, and it is from Dallas where he joins us now. My interview with Kyle, sponsored by BYU Alumni, catching up with the Cougars and connected for good. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Kyle, welcome in tonight behind the mic. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming in. And uh, I mentioned at the very, very start no uh, that, that Chris, you know, uh, preceded you to BYU. But how independent did you want to be in that decision-making process to decide where you wanted to go? Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to be that. It came down to, you know, my basketball career and, and my mission. And it was really close, to be honest. I almost went to Virginia. And, you know, to this day, we're still good friends with uh, – Tony Bennett and his family and some of the assistant coaches. So it's really close, but, you know, I decided BYU was the best fit for me basketball-wise and for my mission. And, you know, it was fun to be able to play with my high school teammate, Brandon Davies, you know, a good friend, and then uh, my brother Chris as well at BYU. So can you to be that. Can you imagine a crazier freshman season than the one you had? Oh, uh, yeah, it was nuts. A lot of fun. You know, it's nothing beats winning, and and that's what we did. A lot of ups and downs, you know, with some situations. I mean, you know, our brother getting hurt and yeah. situation with Brandon and stuff. But we just found ways to win, and, you know, Jimmer had an amazing season and did something that was, you know, remarkable. Everybody was talking about Trey Young this year, you know, and the stuff he was doing. But, you know, he kind of, you know, towards hasn't been able to, to maintain that, and it just gives credit to Jimmer, you know, his, his senior year, how he's able to maintain such a high level of play throughout the entire year. And you look at some of the teammates from that team you had. You just mentioned Brandon. He's out He's out in Lithuania. Uh, Charles right. is playing in Europe. Uh, Jimmer, we just talked to him from China. Guys all around the world still playing this game right now. Yeah, it's not bad when you have 
three NBA guys on that roster, you know, <laughs> that played in the NBA, and then you have three or four, you know, that are playing overseas or played overseas. So, yeah, that team, people don't realize that team was really, really deep, and the great thing about that team is we all bought into, you know, winning. Whatever that was, we, we played to our strengths, and we did what it took to win. So it was fun. Nothing beats winning. You learned you learned Russian, and every every missionary who served yeah. will say that his you know language that he learned was was you know the one that was either chosen for him, but still very tough for him to learn. Learning Russian's no walk in the park. Did you ever have any doubts early in the process that it wasn't going to click for you? When did it click for you? And how much was just mission toughness, including learning that language, uh, important uh, in the rest of your career? Right. Yeah. I mean. In the MTC, I struggled really bad with Russian. I was, you know, probably one of the worst speakers in there. It just wasn't clicking. But, you know, what I've learned, when things get tough, you can either, you know, step up or step back. And I was able to, on my mission, you know, I woke up at 5.30 every day for the first three or four months until I learned the language. And it took about six months to be fluent in Russian. But, you know, I learned some amazing traits and what's funny is my ACL rehab process was about the same length as learning Russian so I was able to take some of the principles I learned from learning Russian and apply them to my ACL rehab so just you know making a plan and then just working hard and believing you can do it you know those are principles I learned from from the mission. Once you were back and then once you were back from an ACL what were your personal expectations and objectives for those last two seasons at BYU? You know, it's funny. I actually wrote down in my journal, and I worked a lot with Craig Manning, the sports psychologist at BYU. You know, I wanted to be known as uh, Mr. Triple-Double. So, you know, in my sophomore year, we were close a few times to get triple-doubles, and I, I knew I could do that, you know, a lot, not just one time. So that was one goal I had in mind. And just coming back from ACL, you know, the question was, will I even make it back? You know, will I ever be the same? But my whole goal was to, you know, come back, better and you know to be in the record books you know in college history and in BYU as well you got six of them as a junior did you at any point consider leaving early at that point and what was the value in staying for your senior year you know I did I did consider leaving early just because the age thing it's such it's such a hard thing you know, to you know, when you're 23, 24, and then you got guys 19, 20 entering the draft. It's even if you are better than some people, the age is you know it glares and it sticks out. So I thought about leaving early, whether going overseas or you know doing the NBA route or whatever. I thought about it. I gave it a real you know consideration, but I thought I could still improve at BYU and you know and you know enjoy one more year of the college atmosphere. Glad you stayed. So I decided to come back. Yeah, I'm glad I stayed. It was a couple of weeks ago, Kyle. Uh, BYU just beaten Pepperdine out in Malibu, and Coach Rose was on the post game show with me. And it was the week you signed with Dallas. Um, and this, this is just two weeks ago, I think, two and a half, three weeks ago, probably, uh, maybe a little more. Uh, and he, during the post game show, said, "You know, as great as this win was, and as the, he said, the best thing that happened this week was what." was what Kyle Collinsworth did in Dallas and signing with them. And he went on for a good three, four minutes about your journey and and how impressed he remains to this day with what you've been able to do uh, with your career. He mentioned Russia, and he mentioned the language, and he, of course he mentions the ACL. How do you describe your professional journey? Because Coach Rose holds it up as a really inspiring one 
uh, hopefully current and future BYU players too. Yeah, I mean, I really wanted to show, especially the LDS community, that you can serve a mission and then you can still, you know, make it to the NBA. I'm not going to lie, it hasn't been easy. It wasn't, you know, the smoothest route with my ACL injury and then, you know, first year being a pro, some letdowns, things didn't go the way I wanted. You know, I had some you know, getting cut from maps and stuff like that. But the biggest lesson I've learned is I just, I never stopped believing in myself. And, you know, I spend 15 to 20 minutes a day just visualizing things I want, visualizing, you know, you know, last summer, tough summer for me. You know, I wasn't able to get on a summer league team. Nobody wanted me. You know, I didn't get any invites to any training camp stuff. You know, I just worked with myself. I didn't have any trainers. I didn't have any coach. I spent the whole summer by myself. And I just kept believing. I kept visualizing myself in the NBA uniform. I told myself I was an NBA player. I act as if I was an NBA player. I looked up people who had done things that I wanted to do. I'd model their success. You know, I did everything I could think of to get to the NBA. So it's been... It's been a crazy journey, and it's going to continue you know, to be crazy. There's ups and downs and everything. But biggest thing is, I mean, especially being LDS, we believe you know, we're offspring of God and we have unlimited potential. And I just really believe that. You know? I believe that not only spiritually, but I believe that in our careers and in all sorts of aspects of our lives. And I just worked hard and applied those things and just kept believing. Kyle, you're a, word cl- you're a world-class athlete, and you married a world-class athlete. You married yeah, Shay. Uh, tell her, tell us how, real quickly, maybe 30 seconds or so, where she is, how she's doing, and how her professional track career is coming along. Yeah, so she's actually flying out to Chicago right now. She's got a thing with Nike she's doing, but she's located in Eugene, and she's training for her outdoor season, which starts in April. So that's coming up soon, But and then she's coming out this weekend she'll be out here in dallas you know to see a couple of my games and be here for a few days so she's chasing down her dream i'm chasing down mine so it's been cool to you know for both of us to be able to to watch each other fulfill our dreams and how cool is it for you to be playing for the dallas mavericks a team you liked a great deal and playing with dirk Nowitzki? crazy i mean i have his jersey i've watched basically every game (laughs) since 2001 of his and just to be out there on the court at the same time as him, we in that second unit, I play a lot with him and J.J. Barea, and those were uh, two of my favorite players growing up. So it's been, it's been surreal, but, you know, I'm not surprised. You know, I visualize, you know, it's crazy I'm on the actual Mavericks, <laughs> but, you know, I visualize myself being here. So I'm not surprised it happened, but, you know, I'm super grateful it has. Well, you continue to write uh, a great story, Kyle, and Cougar Nation remains really proud of you. Best of luck to you with the rest of the season with the Dallas Mavericks and into the offseason, you and Shea both. All the best. Thanks for taking 10 minutes and joining me tonight on Behind the Mic. Of course. Thank you, guys. Thanks, BYU. All right. Thanks a lot. Kyle Collinsworth. Our thanks to Kyle, to Jimmer Fredette, and to Aaron Roderick for being part of our season finale of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. We'll see you in August here on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, byuradio.org and the BYU Radio app. Good night.